resulted yeah, see, in me. John Wick doesn't need a puppy. He just needs a 10-year-old girl. Oh, my God. Wow, that's super fucked up. Um, another that, funny that scene. That movie happened, that, though, so that's great. <laughs> that resulted. Let's not pretend it didn't. Tucson, do you ever say, yeah, I'm thinking I'm black? Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the two John Wick films, John Wick and John Wick Chapter 2. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there again, everybody, and welcome in to episode 102 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with Nick Cheney and Toussaint Egan. People keep asking me if Film Tank is back. Yeah. I don't... Toussaint, what the fuck? <laughs> Do you want to take that off? No, I don't. Come on. You completely ruined the mood. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I fucking hate you. <laughs> Put these glasses on. Put on the glasses. We just, uh, we were just, just were subjected to a John Carpenter fight scene from the movie They Live from Toussaint, where uh, Keith David is being forced to wear sunglasses by Rowdy. Roddy Piper. Yep. I'm so sorry, Nick. <laughs> so on this episode, oh, we are discussing the two John Wick films that have currently been released, which is 2014's John Wick and 2017's John Wick Chapter 2. Uh, both films star Keanu Reeves in the uh, the title character. And there's a mix of characters that show up in just one of the two movies and show up in both, as Ian McShane uh, is in both films. Lance Reddick. Yes, he is in both films as well. But then you have people like Ruby Rose, who's the main antagonist in the second film. Main antagonist? Like the main henchman? Well, not really. Yeah. She's like the main fight. She's the main fight person. Yeah. But she's not really all that good. She's the final boss. Yeah. That's a shitty final boss. Really? Yeah. I thought, I thought that Common was a better final boss. Oh, well, he wasn't, so good. Uh-huh. Common also in uh, John Wick Chapter 2, yeah. as well as Ricardo Scamarchio. Very good. Is that right? No, I'm just saying. Very okay. Good. Also, Lawrence very Fishburne good. only appearing in John Wick Chapter Two, mm-hmm. whereas in the uh, the first film, uh, you played Morpheus. That is a different film. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the first film, uh, you had hey Mike... Tucson. You want to just do this fucking podcast without us? Um, I mean... In the first John Wick, uh, we had Michael Nyquist playing Vigo. Tersov, and uh, any of you film aficionados out there may know him uh, from the original Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, the, uh, mm. the sweetest version. Mm. Uh, also, Alfie Allen plays his son, who mm. kills the dog. Mm. And also we have uh, Willem Dafoe and Dean Winters in the first film. Yeah. Dean Winters, who is from uh, those commercials. Commercials. <laughs> those commercials. Dean yeah, Winters. Well, and I think more, and other things. <laughs> more famously, or at least more iconic, uh, his role as Ryan O'Malley on Oz, which is actually a wonderful television character. Mm. There you go. For a show that loved to kill off any and every character, they purposely kept Ryan O'Malley around for all six seasons because he was very good. Do you ever get injured or stabbed? I mean, by the end of the show, yes. Okay. Thanks for ruining it. Mm, you say? There's really no spoilers on Oz because everybody will die. It's just a matter of when. That's kind of like life. Yeah. Thank you. So the John Wick films are pretty simple. Uh, basically, John Wick's wife, who is played by Bridget Monaghan, uh, dies right. of cancer. 
at the beginning of... Is it still her in the second movie? Yeah. When we see the brief? Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, Yeah, she's not... She doesn't have much going on. No. Uh, So, um, but she dies of cancer early on, and uh, John Wick receives a beagle, a dog. Uh, out, of, out of the blue. Like, he doesn't know where it came from. Right. And it just gets delivered with an... What? <laughs> sorry. I thought being serious. Sorry. No. <laughs> I mean, an asshole. Fucking guy. Uh, like, hey, who so left it, this dog here? <laughs> My name's John Wick. Is he Italian? Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> you there to kill the Pope. <laughs> wow. Wow. And I'm the monster. Also, that guy yep. uh, from uh, Django. Who's there? Franco Nero? Yeah. That, that was him. Yeah. I was trying to figure out who it was. <laughs> Shit. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, continue. So, um, he receives this dog as the last gift given from his wife. Uh, and then the dog gets gets killed. Cholera. By, oh, by, gets killed. By yeah. this, this, uh, this amazingly horrible... Little bastard, yeah, child, yep, man, Theon Theon Greyjoy, yeah, rich, and uh, and yeah, and then um, there's not much else in terms of deep storyline that happens here. Just don't need it. Fun fight choreography and grunting and gun shooting and stabbing (gasps) and don't forget reload porn. We got to see him reload. And also in alternate universe where hitmen have their own currency hotels and uh, rules don't apply to them in terms of I mean, of you've law. never seen that, you know, uh, box to check when you're on Expedia.com and you uh, need, you know, place a lodge. Yeah. There's a portal. Safe house. Yeah. Yeah. That, okay. that exists. Yeah. So when we've done these episodes before... And that's why this has gone off to kind of a weird start. Uh, we've done these double episodes before. We've kind of started with one film and then went to the second. And we were talking about trying something a little different, which may not go well at all. Uh, and just I think it's going really well so Thank far. you very much, sir. Uh, <laughs> talk about both films and just as things come up, kind of explain our thoughts on them. Um, you know, this is a series that actually we've all enjoyed together because we went and saw the first film in the theater in 2014 and then went and saw this one together in the theater uh, when it came out as well. So who wants to start off giving their overall thoughts about uh, the John Wick film series? Uh, Would you like to flip a gold coin? No, you can go. All right. So what I was thinking, ah, uh, you can just go. No, 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 no you just go no, now. Right. I don't want to go <laughs> no, now. No, no. no you okay. want me to? Yes. You sure? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Do you really? Fuck. Go. Just, okay. The oh boy, I like John Wick. I liked John Wick Chapter Two. I'm glad that this franchise exists. I think there is enough there to warrant another movie. Uh, you know, I, I hope it kind of certainly drops off. We don't need to go down the Fast and Furious uh, path, mostly because what clearly the good thing about this franchise so far is the um, the team of Keanu Reeves. And uh, what was the pair of directors then got whittled down to one of the two returning director, mm-hmm. who was, I believe was actually Keanu Reeves' stuntman for the both longest time. Yeah. Oh, both of them were okay. I knew one of them was. Um, yeah, so like I, I think that's the magic here as far as um, you know what's happening. I, I like both movies. I definitely am more partial to the first, um, with no hesitation. I think the first. Is so much more immediate um, than the second. The that prologue, which completely uh, outdoes up, <laughs> in, in my opinion, as far as like uh, just wonderfully lays down character groundwork in a pretty nice and tiny montage uh, to lay the foundation for emotional catharsis of the action that follows. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of John Wick, the first movie. I, I love the fact that it is. For me, when I first saw John Wick, uh, the first one in the theater, I was blown away because I loved uh, Keanu Reeves' performance as John Wick 
the ballet dancer. <laughs> I mean, him, like, he's honestly the Gene Kelly right now of action movies. The way he moves in and out of corridors uh, from level to level, over railings, uh, contorts himself around bodies. I mean, it's just amazing, and it's a pleasure to watch. And um, all of that certainly returns in the second movie. I'm not saying that the second movie was some, like, different movie or anything like that. But what was missing from from making that leap from the original installment into a full-blown franchise was the just i would say almost self-referential cool of the first film uh you know they i love the fact that the um the clubs uh which he goes to in the midpoint of the first movie has like a red circle as its logo which I think everybody can pretty much figure out who's familiar with the work that is a reference to John Pierre Melville's uh, Les Circles Rue, uh, which is a film about gangsters and getting back in for one last job, kind of that whole traction of getting pulled in against your will, uh, especially because I definitely think Keanu Reeves is definitely going for a uh, Alan Delon kind of uh, ultra-coolness. Um, and I, I will say, like... <laughs> The, the, that club scene alone is basically a microcosm of what I love about John Wick, the first movie, and what was somewhat missing, which is that the the mixture between Keanu Reeves' agility, uh, those pumping lights, uh, the blue, the deep purples and reds, uh, and that Icelandic spa song, which if you look at the lyrics are Think of Me and... I forget the now I'm blanking on what follows, but it all completely ties into what he's doing this for, which is for his wife. Even though that's a sick and kind of perverted look at it too, because it's not so much that he's doing it for her, but it's almost like her speaking to him beyond the grave as his rage is consuming him. It, you know, something is technically. I would say at least one portion of his motivations are pure love, and that's what separates him from uh, all the other assassins that he comes up against. And, um, yeah, the, the the trifecta of that whole uh, marriage, whatever, is just fantastic and is honestly one of the high points in action cinema in the past decade, in my opinion. So I have a lot to say, I think, about both movies, uh, but my overall opinion is that I, I like both movies. I really love John Wick, the first one. So that's that's what I'll start to say. Yeah, I have to uh, echo a lot of those sentiments. I count myself as being a fan of the John Wick uh, film series. I also prefer John Wick 1 to John Wick 2. And I'll just talk a little bit about like why I like the first John Wick so much. It's that at its at its core, it is no different than really any other like action film at least in its in its plotting and in its course it's like it's not trying to like have high aspirations of like thematic depth or anything it's really just a a hyper violent stylized like action vehicle for Keanu Reeves but what really sells it to me is that it's sandwiched book ended really with this absurdly just just simplistic premise of a of an assassin whose dog is killed and his car is stolen and that like sets him out on a rage to just kill everybody who has ever crossed him in that way. It reminds me of that movie um, All Falls Down where um, – have you guys ever heard of that film before? Falling Apart? No, it's like All Falls Down. What's that? It's like this film uh, where this guy is like a, a – he works for like a private military contractor and he's like stuck in like Los Angeles traffic and he's trying to get to his falling down, falling down. I think that's what okay. it is. Okay. So I was right. Yeah, with Michael sorry. Douglas. Yeah, yeah. With Michael Douglas. Actually, I think you both said the wrong thing. But right. I just okay. said falling down. I don't think that's what you said. All right. Said. It's falling down. Say? We'll go to the tape. It's falling down. I don't remember. It's falling down. It's falling down with Michael Douglas. It's falling down yes. with Michael Douglas and he's stuck in traffic and he's trying to get back to, um, his daughter's like birthday party, and yeah. he, he is up, also a fucking crazy person. He's also a crazy person, and he wreaks a, a, a swath of havoc and destruction and death all throughout the city. Just doesn't to get he shoot like daughter. a bazooka at a highway or something? Yes, he does. He also <laughs> shoots up a McDonald's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's definitely a difference <laughs> in the ethical situations that are happening. Is there? Yeah, yeah. Is there? Like, yeah. I mean, if we're talking, if if He's to you at least, if, if moral 
Okay, but Michael I'm Douglas saying isn't an assassin. Yeah, in, in that he's film. a crazy person who decides that nobody deserves to live. They're both John Wick killing people. Okay, well I know. So if you're trying to say that every kill is equal, then fine. That's actually not what I was saying. But, but then I don't understand. I was because like, I was kind of like bridging off to a slight tangent, which like it kind of reminds me of that film. Well, right, and, and just I, how all absurd is that the ethical. Was somewhat different. It's a much <clears throat> different feel because. Do you think in the first movie John Wick would kill someone who didn't deserve it? No, he didn't kill the okay. one guy at uh, the uh, Red Circle yeah. Hotel. They already knew each other. It's like, why don't you take the night off? You yeah. know, I thought that was actually really nice of him. Who like, also happened to be Kevin Nash? <laughs> oh, that was, was Kevin Nash. Yeah, really. Oh. Who appears in the Magic Mike films and also was in the WWE yeah, and the WCW for a long time. Anyway. Yeah. I like that film, the the first one, for a lot of reasons. I think that there's really great choreography. I think that I like the, the fight scenes. I like the framing, especially in the aforementioned Icelandic um, spa. Um, I, I generally actually do enjoy the dialogue. Um, and it's just a, a really absurdly comical, simple, like, one-off film, in my opinion. Bring me my fucking bottle! It, yeah, exactly. There's so many memorable lines from it. It's like, it, I, it, it could just as easily just stand on its own, especially from the ending, because it's so simplistic of him just, like, getting another dog from, like, a kennel that he just so happened to, like, wander into and, like, staple his gut shut. Yeah, with, see, like, here's some... the thing. I thought that was, that the first time I saw that film, I thought that was actually a little weird, because... I thought at first that that was like a place where like dogs go, like not like a vacation place where people p- take their pets when they're out of town. But I think it probably is just like a pound of some sort. But when I first saw it, I'm like, is he stealing someone else's dog? Because no. that's kind of going against the whole premise, isn't it? But no, I think I think you're right. After seeing it multiple times, no. yeah, and it just it, it just ends. John Wick three is that owner of the dog coming back. <laughs> It just ends Played by Christoph Waltz. as quickly as he just gets that dog. It ends as abruptly as as it begins, and I and I liked it for that. It's like it's a, it, it, it on its own, it's a good one off film. It's very Michael Mann ending. Yeah, yeah. I will say, if I had a flaw about John Wick, the first one, like the the only thing that always sticks out to me um, that holds me back is calling it like an all time favorite, even though it's such a little thing, but it matters. Uh, the opening, the in media res opening, is completely unwarranted and uh, unnecessary, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it basically is there because it doesn't have faith in the audience to simply start the story with no sense of. Uh, because without that, and of course, if you've never seen John Wick before, mm. then you're just treated to the montage of the dying relative and then getting a dog, yeah. and the, you know. And so there's a lot of build up before action, which is also kind of what the second movie does after the the opening sequence, as far as how long it takes before his revenge or not vent revenge, but plan gets into full swing. Yeah. So before I move on to the second film, I guess, like circling back on what you just said for the beginning, I think that. The main reason why I really enjoy the at least the bookend narrative for for John Wick is that it could have easily been another atypical like action film where it's the assassin whose wife is kidnapped or murdered, but no, she just happens to die of cancer, and it's a it's a dog surrogate and a car surrogate, like <laughs> just just like just like splitting the two in half and just like having both of them like one stolen another one killed it, it it's it, 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 it's really entertaining i enjoy it for that i will admit the image of him up against the rail with that video literally life or a struggle of life or death cuz he could i think give in right there and just die or mm. find the will to survive what's interesting is once we get to that point after seeing the entire movie we are you know it's funny because we're yeah, you have to realize that he has lost his wife, he's lost his dog, he's lost his car, and something I didn't really think about until the most recent time I rewatched it is that he's also lost his only friend uh, in um, what's uh, Willem Dafoe's character yeah. because you know he is there at the funeral and he's the only assassin that showed up for that. So, and of course we know that he helps him out throughout the movie or whatever. But I, I just kind of tied that together, like everything related. You know, to the time of his 
wife, uh, it seems like it included Willem Dafoe to some extent in a way that it didn't include any of the other people of that world. So I just thought that was interesting that he lost every single facet that he could possibly pour uh, compassion into. Yeah. Anyway. So going on to like John Wick 2, like the the main quality of what I liked about John Wick 1 is how self-contained it was. And I feel like by that nature, like a sequel is naturally going to diffuse some of what made the first one so special to me. Why? Because Lawrence Fishburne is a homeless person who leads people, but then he also is wearing a Hugh Hefner smoking jacket. Well, that's part of it. Um, (laughs) The other part of it is that it's not as self-contained. And instead of having this sort of like comical absurdity about, I still think that that's still present. And one thing that one element of the film that I don't think that, a lot of people have talked about is the first actual scene of that film. Like what is the first thing that we see at the beginning? We see like a, a film from Buster Keaton, like played on a, a, on a, on a wall. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. It's the most fucking absurd thing. And I, and I don't know why that is, but I think that's sort of like a nod to the audience of like what one of the, 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 the the spiritual reference this film is supposed to be is like it's 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 well uh, wait, let me just unpack that okay yep. so the the reason why is that it's it's just sort of this this comical absurdity of just like ramping up the 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 set pieces as they go on it's like there's there's a dark humor to this this film and sort of sort of the way that a Buster Keaton film is just him defying death at every turn and mm-hmm. so in that way I feel like John Wick is sort of a a surrogate of that because if, if you actually break it apart like there's a lot of like funny weird ass shit that happens in john wick 2 like with the the taxi bumper car like brawl that happens like at the beginning which i thought was a little bit tiresome as it went on but you know i appreciated like the at least the the initial moments of it and i was like okay it was like this is going on a little too much and uh the the fight between him and Common's character in Rome where they throw each other down like three flights of stairs that reminds me of the the the, the fight from from They Live which is the reason why I showed you that scene it's like it's not as absurd as that but it is in the same spirit of that or, and it does have a white guy versus a black guy or, or or when they're they're walking through the uh the subway on, on, on different levels together and just like shooting at each other and nobody else notices that like that, great. that's that kind of like physical that was, comedy that yeah. I think that like is, is sort of like echoed from that so I think that there is a yeah. reason why that's played on there no I absolutely agree with that I was gonna say that certainly makes sense as far as Buster Keaton even more so than somebody like Charlie Chaplin the sumo wrestler who, who the, the sumo assassin who gets shot in the head a second time yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but um I think that what is substituted for this the succinctness of the first film is this larger mythology about it. And everybody's been talking about like the mythology of John Wick too. And I actually want to like unpack that a little bit. Cause I think that it's, I, I know that some people shrug and it's like, it doesn't really matter. And they just come there because they want to see like guns being shot off and stuff. But I feel like it's, that is really the most apt word for the world building of it, whether or not you care about the, the the high table or the council of 12 or whatever the fuck is going on with that. I feel like there is sort of a, a mythological like, like analogy that's going on here simply for the fact of like Lance Reddick's character who returns as sort of the concierge for the continental. Like what's his name? His name is Charon who is the, the ferryman to the, the afterlife. And I feel like Ian McShane's character of Winston is sort of the, um, the, the John Wick analog for, like Hades from like the Greek underworld. It's like, really, it's just like you being inducted back into this world. And it sort of like exists as a, as a, as a junction point a sort of a, a, a level ground that all these people who aren't allowed to have a normal life anymore are able to sort of converge and have something of a semblance of normality outside of work. That's why there's no work at the continental. So, there's a lot more that I want to talk about, and there's a lot I, I like and don't like about John Wick 2, but overall, I think that overall, I, if, if I was to take them as a package, I, I enjoy John Wick. Yeah, I think, this, uh, I think this series is really strong in terms of films that kind of sneak, not even under the radar, because obviously the second film isn't under the radar by any... But, you know, this isn't a summer blockbuster or anything. This is a very passable early year 
kind of release that, you know, when it gets stuck in with Underworld and Resident Evil and Great Wall and all that shit, it really makes it shine that much more. Yeah, like, this is so much better than those other games. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and although I, I agree that I feel like overall the first film is probably a better total package um i actually give these films pretty much the same exact rating um but i like them the same for different reasons uh the first film definitely caught most people off guard when it first came out because if you had seen any keanu reeves movie released really in the last 10 years that involved action it was just kind of like meh whatever just almost dismissed immediately just hearing the premise and then people went and saw this and obviously noticed that there was something different about it uh the first film really contains this interesting just dive almost into this different world that we don't live in that is feels so it feels similar because obviously it is the real world but it also feels so authentic is we have these gold coins that nobody necessarily knows the exact value of. Um, go ahead, Jusan. That's another thing. Uh, kind of wanted to sort of you just reminded me of just by mentioning it is like the gold coin is like sort of like the the ferryman like fee that you have to pay in order to like pass through the underworld that you have to like put two pennies over your eyes or something like that. So, yeah, yeah. But in terms of the first film, I feel like the intrigue of what this world was and also the quality of the action sequences, um, the choreography and the, just the perfect editing between the sound, the music and, uh, just the action was happening on screen along with the absurdity of everything for the most part, um, is what made it all just work so well together. Like it, it's obviously a much different film, but it reminds me of another great uh, Keanu Reeves role, which was Speed, in terms of this is obviously feels like the real world, but it is so bizarre and absurd, and I'm totally fine just going with it the entire time through because I'm entertained, which is the entire point, I feel like, of these films, which is why I'm obviously concerned about what Tucson was bringing up in terms of the table of the 12 people or whatever. High table. That's fine. It gets way too into the trap of creating this dual story between a second and third film and a trilogy. Uh, something that jumped out immediately after seeing the film was uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy. Because this second film reminded me a little bit of that second film where we are introduced to these new characters and we as the audience are supposed to put a lot of stock in a lot of the actions that happen throughout this story and this world. But really, for the Pirates movies, we're just there to see Captain Jack Sparrow and people doing pirate things. Yeah. Like, there are not a lot of people who give a shit about the nine pieces of eight and the pirate lords and all that garbage the nine pieces of eight that's right wow there wasn't pirates a lot of, can't count there wasn't a lot of writing in those uh second the second and third parts of the caribbean movies um and it just that's the problem that i have with john wick 2 is that i see where this is going for the third film on the outset and i'm concerned about when it gets there uh, like the Lawrence Fishburne character was stupid. Uh, I I just I just didn't love that. However, the action sequences, uh, the gunshots, the stabbing, the fight, the fighting, the pencil stabbing, the nut stabbing, the headshot. I mean, th th there's just so much here that was just so enjoyable to watch. Obviously, the fight choreography wasn't on par with something like uh, The Raid or something like that. But we got an American film that seemed to understand that its audience wants to watch people in these fighting sequences that uh, include different styles of fighting and different types of killing or, you know, what, what have you. And it just embraced that throughout. And it was... Uh, 
it was definitely a uh, interesting ride throughout and included a lot of really great images. Yeah. The uh, the shot of John Wick running with the music playing uh, in the twilight with the dog through Central Park in the final scene is just beautiful. And that's coming, obviously, like cinematography is in like a really high point of this series, but that was wonderful. And it was a great ending to the film, even if it did feel quite abrupt to me. Yeah, um, in the, the stinger where Barboza came out of the shadows and asked John Wick where his ship was, like that, uh, I thought that was really weird, so... Yeah, people don't really die. Yeah, people don't really die. I wouldn't put it past the series. I wouldn't put it past it either. Nope. I'm, I'm, I, so I think... far, from one to two, nobody's come back from the dead. Yeah, not yet, no. Not yet, okay. no. But I mean, I think... I, it, I've got money that the wife su- will come back. It wouldn't surprise me... If nobody returns, other than the people that we are confirmed alive, yeah, no, and I, I and Ruby Rose, Willem Dafoe's so, dead as fuck. Yeah, no, and and the, there's nothing necessarily that makes me think that they're going to come back or want the, or any, it. Just the whole thing just reeks of it's heading down a path that the third film may be a large disappointment for everybody who's liked the first two. Yeah, I'm I'm just not a. I'm I'm not a fan of the the ending and the setup for the third film. I just I, I just think that it's fucking stupid, honestly. I think that I understand like how the the film is structured. I was ready to watch that final scene. I, I was ready to watch it. I, I was ready to watch this huge battle scene and it's just like next time, bitches. I think that the the setup in the first um in the first major scene when he's talking to Tarasov's uh on, like his brother, Peter Stormar. Peter yeah. Stormar, yeah. and, and he pours the vodka, and he like tries to have a, a a toast with him to like establish peace. And he asks him the question of like, "Is peace even possible for someone like you?" As like, "Why not?" And that sort of signal across across the entire film, especially in the the finale where uh, Santonio like asks him, like tells him, "Is like, you know what? I think it is. I think that you're actually addicted to the vengeance. I think that you can't like let it go." And then he just ends up killing him on continental ground and that sort of like reaffirms that and i just it it, it bothers me that he just plays into somebody's hand like that and, it, and i think that it's just fucking stupid on his own part because like in the first film you had miss perkins who did pretty much the same exact thing and got murdered and i just don't know why he's so stupid that he would do something that you because he you doesn't truly the, care about living. You know what the fucking consequences are, right? Yeah, I don't think it's stupid. I think he. I is. think that you might actually be right, Alex. That he just doesn't care about living. I guess yeah. that is sort of like the reason for it. So, I mean, he's only going to die if he somehow did everything to prevent it, so to speak. But he, I wouldn't say he's <laughs> against the romanticization of. You know, ending it all, so to speak. Yeah. Um, what I liked it was more important to kill him in that moment yeah. than to live. Because at that point, what I liked at least about that scene, in fact, actually, the more I think about, it, the more I like the ending personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I especially after I rewatched the first movie. When you watch the first movie, what's interesting to me is not only is there this uh, separate world, so to speak, that's happening parallel to ours, mm-hmm. uh, but th- th- they remain separate. In, in every aspect, in time and space, and you know, because when he, they are out on the street, it's interesting, like when he's in the club, um, and even though he is shooting henchmen and whatnot, he is being extremely careful not to shoot anybody else. All of that goes away <laughs> in the second movie, when I would say people are used as collateral damage, not necessarily blatantly, it's not like we're seeing like cuts to like people getting headshot who were just random passerbys, but... I mean, come on. Think of the scene, like, with him in common by the fountain, and the fountain water is going, yeah. and they just start going. Yeah. Like, that is something that never would have happened in the first movie. And, yeah. and so I, you're saying, and obviously, this is a series that I feel like, like, if you try to dive too deep into it, it's not going to give you a gr- But, like, he's not, like, a vigilante or something like that. Like, he's not out. He's just yeah. a guy who's just there doing whatever he feels and he's yeah he doesn't have the same kind of rules in the second film right and what i like about that is i think that's actually sufficiently set up uh in the beginning of the second movie because here 
you know, in the first movie, um, there's all this emphasis on rules and rules that he follows, and yet that doesn't actually give him any kind of gratification. In fact, the way he ends up killing um, the bastard who killed his dog and stole his car is so anticlimactic, but I think for on purpose because he's not worth any grand gesture of John Wick's, you know, mm. uh, brilliance. And so it's just a simple, and I think that's what he's showing here too, which is that rules are what got him into the shit in, in the, in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. The, you know, his frustration with, um, that guy showing up out of nowhere saying, I gave you this blood, this marker marker. Yeah. And which is obviously tied into then the first movie, because then we learn that he only got out because apparently he made this marker with him. So what I love about that is that it started to, and so once he realizes that the only happiness, happiness he ever truly was able to achieve, he only achieved by essentially selling his soul anyway. So by, yeah, I, I actually really enjoy that that scene of him inside the Continental Hotel, um, not just breaking the rule, but doing so in a way that um, the movie itself breaks up its own editing patterns because when he does finally shoot him, it's a stark, stark moment yeah. uh, that comes out of nowhere. And I don't necessarily dislike that part. I just dislike the sort of bizarre, abrupt ending. I mean, also, too, there, there's almost like this weird feeling that is given out from... Uh, from uh, Ian McShane, where he pretty much says stop, and everyone who's in Central Park is like a hitman. Or, or, like it, it gives well, I this... think what it means is that, like, yeah. deep down, we're all okay. Mm, kinda... no, no. What I was going to say, though, really quickly, uh, and this is in reference to the first film, yeah. uh, is that that is one of the images that I just is always going to be one of my favorite two or three images from uh, this series. And that is at the very end in the rain when he has the honestly comically ridiculous fight uh, with the the father because obviously the father's completely overmatched, which is great Mm -hmm. because unlike something like Quantum of Solace where you have James Bond and um, Matthew uh, Almerick, yes, have this like ten minute long fight that obviously any sane person thinks shouldn't be able to take place. You have this bizarre short fight where he's like, yeah, I'll let it kind of happen or whatever. And I love that he goes to stab him and John Wick kind of like makes him force the knife in just to get the knife from him. And it, that's just so great. That's just, just a beautiful, ridiculous moment. That's just makes you feel like all of the other characters must just feel so fucking helpless. It's great. Circling back to something that Nick talked about with the markers, like that even the the fact of the the setup that uh, Santonio comes back with the marker and tells him like I'm the reason why you're able to get out of this whole thing is like when I rewatch the 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 first film and Tsarov is talking about how like the only reason that he let him out is because he accomplished some impossible task. Like I almost want to like it's part of the whole world building and mythology about this, this entire thing. I, I want to know what the fuck that impossible task was. Like, who did he have to kill? What did he have to do? How did it involve this other guy? And I don't feel like it's ever going to be answered in a film. It's going to probably be answered in like some like cross media, comic book series, comic book series, video game shit. I disagree. I think it'll be answered in the third film. You think so? Yep. Okay. So mm-hmm. I, well, Let's hopefully we'll look forward to that because I'd like to actually like know what that is, um, and just to sort of like circle back on an actor that I really like. I like Ian McShane in this. I like the character of Winston because I feel like I feel like Winston has sympathy for John despite his position, understanding that he just wanted to. Well, get he out. must because yeah. technically, like you said earlier about Perkins Perkins yeah. doesn't murder somebody and gets murdered well she does yeah she oh she murders that guy I forget technically yeah I was but, thinking yeah. about the other I think the, okay fine I, I think the but difference still there's that. clearly a difference as far as distribution of well because he's a man so it's fine no there's a difference why why I think Perkins <laughs> dies because she killed Harry is because Harry is probably an actual member of that actual consortium of people who are patrons of of the Continental versus while while Santonio is just sort of like a guest. There's a I feel like there's, there's one a thing I was thinking as far as possible explanations is yeah. that I think possibly 
Perkins um, accepted, I think, a contract that's illegal on the grounds of the contract itself said and ex- Rick wasn't extra, acting on a on extra contract. money, right? Yeah. And so, even though it was business on continental ground, it wasn't breaking further rules mm-hmm. of it. So, I think maybe there's some of that too at play. Yeah. Um, one thing I'll say about the first movie, mm-hmm. uh, especially now that uh, Alex was bringing it up with the father as uh, being the final battle, so to speak, of that movie. What's interesting about that movie and what makes it way more thematically coherent um, compared to the second one is that I love the imagery of Catholicism in that movie mm-hmm. um, from the resurrection of John Wick to the actual bur- you know shooting of a priest in the middle of a you know church to priest. yeah <laughs> to but you know the imagery and, I know it is but, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but to the actual conflict that he has to face which is to hunt down a son that is sacrificed by his own father you know I, I, I just I don't know I just think there's a lot more there to the the battle of good and evil there versus um, this which is like what kind of Tucson said is just something that's kind of dropped in to the yeah, but mm-hmm. boy, those gunshots in those catacombs sounded so fucking good. Yeah, uh, that, that whole that whole sequence of him like fighting off um, Ruby Rose and um, Santonio's men that are sent there to like clean up after he's he's killed Gianna, like him pressing the 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 shotgun barrel to that guy, p- pinning him down and then reloading and then shooting him. That. Felt like I was there. There's they a, did that in the first movie. Yeah, they they probably did that in the first movie. <laughs> no, that, but they, the, they but, did. but that yeah. whole sequence again, like uh, in in the catacombs, it reminded me of a fucking video game. It felt yeah. I felt like, but I, not I, in a way of something like Hardcore Henry. No, fuck right? Hardcore Henry. This this like Hardcore Henry. The difference between that and and John Wick is that I feel like Hardcore Henry leaned way too into the the pretense of evoking video game imagery and sort of trying to like couch its it, it, its whole shtick whereas like i feel like john wick just happens to, to to sort of like cross paths with that imagery without having to wholeheartedly like lean into it. it it is its own thing it's a fucking movie but i just feel like the way it was framed and the way that like it followed like it it felt like a fucking video game with the inventiveness of how he he, he approached those different problems. How about the idea of the uh, the sister who commits suicide by slitting her arms open and laying in the uh, the warm water to bleed to death, which uh, reminded me... It's gorgeously it, photographed. It was, yeah. and it, it reminded me uh, immediately of uh, The Godfather Part Two. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously the uh, the context is quite different, but... Just for me, I was just like the blood, just sort of filling the water is just. But what I, I lo- <laughs> what I love about uh, that scene is that even though she's dead, he still puts the bullet in her head. Yeah, because he because he has he's to. He's a professional. Yeah, yep. hey. <laughs> yes, might as well call him Leon. <laughs> yeah, I um, he would have left Cab Fair. Absolutely, <laughs> another really comical it's a gentleman. Scene. Sorry. Another really comical scene that resulted yeah, see, in... see, me- John Wick doesn't need a puppy. He just needs a 10-year-old girl. Oh, my God. Wow, that's super fucked up. Um, another that, funny that scene... That movie happened, that, though, so that's great. That resulted... Let's not pretend it didn't. After he killed Gianna was when he was running from the guards, and he ended up, like, jumping on stage and, like, shooting people, and yeah. then, like, jumping people's, into the crowd. And people started cheering. Yeah, this yeah. is art. <laughs> Like, yeah, I definitely did kind of think that that was somewhat metatextual. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's absolutely metatextual. But John Wick itself, and we see, especially via the climax, yeah. is, is almost like an art installation piece. Mm-hmm. It's something that we shouldn't cheer on at the heart of it because it's just pure, brutal carnage for the sake of just being entertaining. And yet, when it looks as good as it does, we can't help but just be bloodthirst. I felt like the, the final encounter in the... Mirror exhibition yeah. is sort of played out. I mean, look, it's uh, played look, out. Look, look, that that's a that's a a basic trope that has dated all the way even farther back than Enter the Dragon. But like, I thought that there was at least like something that they added to it. With I, I think that something that one of my friends uh, brought up in in critiquing the film was that 
the the director is a lot more creative with their framing when it's in the close quarters, and I feel like that came through in that actual scene, especially when like John Wick is leaning through the pillars. I can't understand how that scene was filmed. I don't know from how start s- to finish. Like there are so many shots where I'm staring at it, going, "How is this captured?" Yeah. Waiting, waiting for the how uh, did you frame the, this? The Harry Potter where you just see the director in the yeah, corner. like the gaffer, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. something. I, I, but no, it never broke, and it's insane. The, uh, I think the mirror thing, though, if I can maybe yeah. say something, like I, it didn't really bother me. A because I kind of love the almost um, weird monotone uh, of the the speaker talking about the RP. Like this mm-hmm. is a reflection of oneself. This is Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I like that almost dry <laughs> humor aspect to it, you know. Yeah. And also, I think thematically, you know, it's John Wick. You know, he's starting with the man in the mirror. You know, he's got to make a change. He's it's got to be himself. That's, that's great. Uh, that's so, great, Nick. something that I already kind of threw your guys' way, which is who's going to be on Team John Wick in the third film. Uh, and there seems to be this the dog. We- well, duh. Uh, there seems to be this weird sort of respect for him for people that he's let live over time. Specifically, Lawrence Fishburne's character, who we know he had stabbed in the neck and pretty much gave him the choice of dying to catch him or letting him go and living. Hmm. Uh, We see a very similar action happen with Common in that great subway scene when he, John Wick, walks away and Common has this weird smile on his face, which was kind of odd, but yet also amazing at the same time. Yeah, you have to respect him and you're just like, God damn it, he just got me. Right, and then uh, even though Toussaint thinks she's dead... Something very similar happens with uh, Ruby Rose's character in that mirror scene at the finale where I'm pretty sure she's still alive, but maybe she is. I don't know. I'm pretty sure she's dead because she echoes the same like dying like send-off as okay. Vigo from the, the first film. Okay. So anyways. I'll be seeing you. Got it. Yeah. I disagree, but that's okay. Cool. So are those people going to be fighting with him against these other hitman, hitmen? In the because obviously it's not going to be just him probably no, I think that it's likely that Common's character will heal and if anything will be killing but will other he em- emotionally heal. <sighs> Shut the fuck up. Anyway, will probably be killing other hitman in a bid to kill John Wick because he doesn't want anybody to do it but him. That's probably what I, I, I. That's how I see it going. That's interesting. Yeah. So then, an eye all, for an eye. They all turn way. on each yeah. other at the end after killing all the other hitmen, and then there's a, a battle royal of the people who were previously on the same team. Why not? And then it ends. That's how. That's how this film has to end. This film series has to end with somebody like ridiculous coming up and just shooting John Wick or something. Right. I'm thinking that they're all going to get their own dog. And let the dogs settle it for themselves. I think that uh, the Continental... Michael Dick shows up. I, I see there being a shootout at the Continental. I think like that's, mm. that's eventually going to, to happen. Ian McShane just in the corner. Everybody stop! I mean, he pulled out two shotguns. <laughs> Bless me, Father. For I have sinned. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, man. But uh, yeah, we've gotten off the rails a little bit there. That's okay. Yeah. This that's pretty much invited from this film series. Is yeah. If you take too many actions too seriously here, you're going to be disappointed. I think I, the third film. I think that the action in this is very good, but it is not. Are we talking about chapter two or in, just in general? In in general, I think that okay. the action in the John Wick series is very good, but it's anything but the best. This is not like anywhere. Like like you said, this is nowhere near raid levels of of inventiveness or or just like perfection in in sort of that way i i think that in terms of in terms of the in terms of the the hand-to-hand combat it's not in the same i mean it's not not in the same ballpark if we're talking like inventiveness is one thing and certainly i can understand why someone might pride it over everything else but uh this is so in my opinion, at least, like so unique in its own gracefulness that yeah, it's sure. in a class of its own to the point where I would put it on the same pedestal because I think they're going for two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> like personally, I would rewatch John Wick before I rewatch probably either Raid movie, and mm-hmm. I love all three of those movies, so to speak. Yeah, but um, 
as much as Ray One, Ray Two, and John Wick. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, there's just something to the acrobatic, um, which isn't always brutal. Because sometimes it's just weirdly dainty and interesting. You know, like in the first assault on John Wick's house when um, Vigo sends the first team to try to wipe him out, um, there's some of the most interesting, like, flips and whatnot. Uh, Not interesting of like, oh, I didn't know somebody could do that or anything like that, but just that, like, just seeing the imagery of somebody doing that in such a dire moment adds a weird bit of levity that the raid, for all of his inventiveness, never wants to uh, present because it's going for a much more, I would say, uh, for much more carnage in general. Like It's just, uh, I, I don't know, I just think they're in their classes of their own. And to compare them would actually be missing the point of what makes both of them special. Yeah. But I, but I like them. Yeah. yeah. I can agree with yeah. that. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, would you guys like to kind of go to final thoughts in terms of everybody giving their own thoughts about these films, sure. cleaning everything up and giving some final ratings. Sure. Yeah. Cool. You want yeah. me to go first? Sure. Yeah. Start Let's... with Nick. Let's end with Nick. Okay. So John Wick, <laughs> great movie. Mm-hmm. Really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, good stuff. Some mm-hmm. great punches. Good bullet time. I love it. Uh... <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. It's going to be some really good stuff. Um, <laughs> um, no, what I gotta say though is one thing I forgot to mention, but I'll just really quickly mention is that I actually think as much as John Wick 2 was more outwardly funny, I think John Wick 1 is still just as funny. There's a lot of jokes in John Wick 1, in yeah. my opinion. I think they're somewhat subtler, whether they manifest themselves as the the moment in the club when John Wick goes to shoot and then his gun is completely empty which is ludicrous because his gun would have been empty far before that point so the fact that they actually interrupted action just to introduce what would normally be a plot hindrance is just fantastic or even in uh, Dean Winter's performance as the cowardly uh, um, subservient to Vigo like, oh, all yeah. of his lines like especially when he's in the car when he's like asking for a gun yeah he hands he he just taunts him with a gun. It's like, yeah. good luck. It's like, yeah. fuck you. And he keeps trying to, like, hand it to him, but he keeps pulling it back. Like, you yeah. know, I actually think the first movie is actually pretty funny. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but o- overall, I think the first film is emotionally charged in a way a lot of action movies aren't um, because it foregrounds the character development before the um, uh, the action truly picks up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's extremely important. I thought the mythology teased out in the first film is much more effective as hints than it is as actual... Explication. Yep, in the second. And uh, so overall, I I thoroughly enjoy the first one. And every time I watch it, I like it a little bit more. So it might end up one day becoming like one of my all-time favorite films. Right now, it's sitting at a pretty square four out of five stars. Second film, I think, kind of loses what made John Wick cool, even if it totally brings the carnage, which is like half the reason you go see a John Wick film. So overall, it's a success, and it makes me excited to see how the franchise will continue, but I do think there was something lost in translation from the starting point to the bridge. Uh, And it makes me wonder if this will just be better as a like the TV show model where like the pilot and the series finale will be great, but the meat in the middle just is, is unfortunately paced. So that's what I'm hoping happens here because yeah. I would be very on board. In fact, I might even retroactively like two a little more if the third movie can really bring it back home and, and marry what I like about both of them together. So mm. I'd give the second film uh three out of five stars. So overall, I'm a fan of this franchise. Yeah. Um, yeah, just circling back, I really enjoyed the first John Wick film for a lot of reasons that Nick mentioned before. Is like I like how succinct it is. I liked how self-contained it is. Um, like you said before, with the foregrounding of the character development before the actual action, I think that's really like that, that's a really on-point observation and like uh, description of like what that film actually does effectively. Um, I just think that it's a really funny, stupid-ass film that has a lot of really good action in it. And it could easily just exist on its own. And I think that going on to John Wick 2 is like even though there's sort of a return of those same elements and they are just as absurd, if not in some cases more absurd, I think, again, that 
simply by the nature of it being a sequel, it sort of diffuses the singular quality of the original that endears it to me so much. And like to explicate it on more with more like mythology, like I, I love franchises. I love world building and stuff. I just, I just think that I've already, I could get that from anywhere else. Like what John Wick gave me was just the most absurd setup for a hyper violence like summer blockbuster I have I, I have heard of in in recent memory. And I enjoy it. I'll probably go see a third one. Uh who the hell knows? There might even be a fourth one. Look, let's just let's just put it on the table. Let's just put it on the table. It's all about the money. The high table? It's all yep, put it on the high table. It's all about the money, dude. Now in terms of it being all about the money uh, the first film was made for a, you know, for an action film. Was made for a really s- modest budget of right. forty million. And I think that jumped up to sixty for the second film. Yep. So in terms of like profit margin, uh, it's going to be a drop off for the second film for sure. Yeah. So, but then again, we did just uh, just this past year watch a fourth Jason Bourne film with Matt Damon. Those films were a lot. More successful at the box office. Yeah, I, I mean, they they just were. <laughs> yeah. And uh, talking about franchises that have just continued on, you look at like something like the Saw movies. I mean, those films were for the most part made on a shoestring budget. New Saw movie coming this year. I know. I know. Still I know haven't seen anything from excited. it. Excited. What? Still haven't seen anything from it. We won't. Right. Well, I know, but what I'm getting at is that those films continued on and on just because. The studio was making so much money for them without putting hardly anything into it that there for them. I mean, there was the really ro- the, no reason not to. The, the Saw movie was already done filming by like January, and it started in November. Like, yeah, those are not hard movies to make. Yeah. yeah, so there's a fifth Pirates of the Caribbean movie come out. Also, will do just fine at the box office. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, did you know the fourth? Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean is one of the top 12 grossing films of all time. That should make you really disappointed in the box office system. I give John Wick 1 a 3.5 okay. out of 5, and I give John Wick 2 a 3 out of 5. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So I'm a fan of both of these, uh, and I give them both a 3.5 out of 5, as I like the first one more as a film, because I as we've said uh, across different portions of the film, it has an overall better story and kind of presents the character and his struggle in a much better and deep way that could make you connected with somebody who's just a throwaway Keanu Reeves character in an action film. Uh, The second film seems to struggle to really bring the audience in, at least in my opinion, uh, with its story structure and its side characters who are not nearly as interesting as I felt like uh, the characters in the first film were. Even characters who are interesting, like Ruby Rose, who I thought was quite good in this, uh, is a little bit hard to get too into because she has to have a gimmick. And, of course, her gimmick being that she she can't speak. Yeah. So, um, it, it's just like... Things like that just kind of made me a little hesitant to love the structure of the second film. But I thought the action, for me at least, was better than the first film and more engaging and made the film not feel like a two-hour film to me. Like When the film ended, I did not think it had been two hours. And uh, for me, pretty much always that is a sign of a successful, interesting movie. So... I give both films two and a half, or sorry, three Whoa. and a half. Yeah, sorry. Spoiler. It's dropped in your estimation. Yeah, no, I gave, <laughs> shut the fuck up. I gave both films three and a half, and uh, I'm at least interested and intrigued in the third film. Go ahead, Sean. I have one last question. I know that we just kind of like had our, yeah. our wrap-up for this. What the yeah. hell? You really missed your chance. Well, I just thought of it. Back to I, the caucus with you. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a deep cut that people aren't going to be able to understand. Okay. Um... Do you think? Do you think that the John Wick films would exist? Yeah. If if oh. damn, can you, <laughs> what me, can you let me? Fin- damn, can you let me finish the question? Damn. Anyway, um, let me finish my intro. 
Wow. Whoa, that was good. <laughs> I, already apo- I already apologized about that. Anyway, um, do you think that the John Wick films would exist if John Wick were played by a different character, by by a different actor than than Keanu sure. Reeves? I think because I think Jason that, Statham, no, the I, entire I, franchise, or I think that John Wick, the first film, exists entirely as a vehicle for Keanu Reeves, like the whole uh, like like exchange that he had with Tsarova where he was just like, you know, people keep on asking me whether I'm back and I was just like I haven't had an answer. It was like, but yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. And we know that it's supposed to be a signal to the audience, like, oh yeah, he was in that Matrix movie once. He used to be an action star. Yeah. I mean I, I do subscribe to the idea that this is definitely a Keanu inspired vehicle. I think somebody could have gotten attached and then it would have been rewritten. I think that there are people who are ex- who expressly make an appearance in the first film simply because of their association to previous Keanu Reeves projects. In the first film? In the first film. Yeah, because you think that it's just like it, it it's a throwaway thing, but there are like a lot of cameos from like people who are bit players in the actual Matrix films. Like the one part where he is in his in in his uh, hotel room, and he's being patched up by the doctor. Did you recognize who that doctor was? No, that's the guy who played the key maker in the second Matrix. Film. Oh yeah, you see, I don't I don't watch the second and third one of those. Well, so. guess what? Those things exist. That's and, fine, and I mean, they're part of his career. That's not really abnormal or unique to this. I think a lot of times actors will say, "Oh, you need someone for one scene." I work. I with. don't think it's just that one character in one scene. I think that there's multiple bit players, especially. So who else? There's another like uh, bodyguard player who actually plays an agent in like the, okay, the first Matrix. Getting, film. Once again, that's what I'm actually to... there though. Okay, that's, no, I'm that's not fine. saying that they're, they uh, they weren't. All I'm saying is. None of that. I'm I, not saying that there's a larger significance or like some type of. I'm, okay, there I'm, is. I'm not saying that there's some type of master no. scheme that this is somehow a sequel to the Matrix or some shit like no, that. I'm saying the Illuminati shit. No, like I'm saying that this exists as a Keanu Reeves vehicle, and there's a reason why okay. those people are there. So for that reason. in the trailer, in I don't know if it was the first, but an early trailer for John Wick Chapter Two, when Lawrence Fishburne arrives in the same film as Keanu Reeves. It's, for me at least, impossible to not think of The Matrix. Yeah. I think that he's there because of his association with Keanu Reeves in that in that capacity. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Come on, dude. I don't know. I've tried to I've tried really hard over time to not get too obsessed with, with connections between people because obviously I've done that quite a bit in the past and still for some of them subscribe to what I was saying. However, it's not like Lawrence Fishburne's you know, fighting people off to get work these days. They're like, yo, man, <laughs> he practically is the Bowery King now. Well, they're probably like, you know. He's you- been in more things recently than Keanu has been. He played a, piv- not pivotal, a main character on NBC's Hannibal for three seasons. Oh, yeah. And okay. then he was a um, a large character in uh, Blackish, which is currently one oh, of the yeah. best and he was also sitcom. The I mean, that's TV, part. but still, as yeah. far as he's, his but face is around. He was also yeah. the best part of Batman v Superman. Was yeah. he? I don't know yeah. if that's something he, he was the, circulated. He was the editor who uh, kept on... I want get, you to write sports. Who kept on fuck? giving, like, Clark Kent. like, hey, drop, I checked your Dropbox, and I found some bullshit, and I just, like, tore it up in front of him. Clark? Yeah. yeah. It was really awkward, though, when he, like, said Dropbox, because it seemed like uh, Lawrence Fishburne actually had no idea what that was. Yeah. I read on your Dropbox. Should he post it to your wall? <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I feel like Keanu though, there is something about him specifically and other people too, but just because he's in this specific franchise that we saw how successful and memorable somewhat the first speed film is with Keanu in it. And then they made that second one. And obviously the story was not something that people could get behind or be interested in. But that was one of the biggest failures of all time, Speed 2 Cruise Control, um, even though it still had Sandra Bullock in it. Well, but... yeah, if you're going to put it in Cruise Control, then you've lost all control. <laughs> but Willem Dafoe is in it. I mean, come on. <laughs> Tom Cruise Control. He's not in it. That's okay. very good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, meh. I feel like 
if this film would have had somebody like Jason Statham in it, people would have just looked at it and went, meh. But yeah. I looked at it when Keanu Reeves was in it and thought, meh. Because of all the films he'd been in, like, isn't he in a bunch of samurai-ish films recently? Like, 47 the Ronin. Ronin. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was in that. Um trying to think. Yeah. No, I mean, I definitely think the John Wick uh, movies are, you know, a Keanu start for him. Great. You're welcome. You're welcome. Vroom, vroom. So, so that's it? Yeah, right. I think that's, so. Okay, that's okay. It. That's, that's it. probably, yeah. it's yeah. probably good. Yeah. So, uh, if you have any comments on Keanu Reeves, or Lawrence Fishburne, or The Matrix, or the John Wick series... Or a performance on this episode. Yeah, you can send them along to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. On our next episode, uh, we will be talking about the Lego Batman film, uh, which stars Will Arnett uh, returning as Batman after he uh, he voiced the character in the uh, the Lego movie a few years ago. And um, it's gotten pretty good reviews so far. So we will see. Uh, if it gets if... good reviews on ours. Exactly. Uh, as always, uh, feel free to catch up with us uh, on FilmTankShow.com, or you can find our episodes... Uh, on iTunes or Stitcher as well. And also you can find us occasionally, very occasionally, like not often, at Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Tank Show. From Nick Cheney, Tucson Egan, myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much, as always, for listening to us, and we will catch up with you next time. Tucson, do you ever say, yeah, I'm thinking I'm black. Mm-hmm.